I thought I was going to be able to talk about them in one stream. And instead, eight hours later, we have talked about the Blackwoods more than anyone thought possible. As it turns out, there's just a lot of interesting things about House Blackwood. And at least to me, I just keep finding cool things to talk about. But now this stream, this one, this one, we're finally going to talk about like, you know, the actual books, the books we read, you know, those right up there, Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, and honestly, mostly a dance with dragons and into the winds of winter. We are finally at the point where we're literally talking about characters talking on the page and not just weird history lessons. So yes, this will be, I think, I'm pretty sure the last Blackwood stream for quite a while. A caveat then with that though, that will probably do more for House of the Dragon when they eventually show up, probably in season two, I would guess, is when we'll start seeing them pop up again. It'll be real interesting. It's going to be real good. So I hope you're all excited about that. I know I am. I actually had a lot of fun going back and seeing this stuff because especially with how it interacts with Jamie and his visit to Penny Tree and Raven Tree Hall and Stonehenge and how it all kind of links together nicely, you sort of get a feeling that there's a lot more going on with the old Blackwoods than uh, than meets the eye, which is sort of par for the course for our Raven Boys, as we as we can call them, the black and red and gold part four fifteen. No. Four four. Okay, I did put on the, the thumbnail that this is uh Blackwood Infinity Streams. We're just gonna talk about them forever. Yeah, this is what we're gonna do. Until George writes more about them, which I'm sure he would in the Village Hero and all the other fun stuff coming our way from George Blackwood enthusiast Martin. I'm okay with displeasing the Brackens, because the Brackens suck. Screw the Brackens. That's what I say. So I got a good opening quote here. And it was uh, one that kind of stuck out, one that I, one of the more interesting ones from all the different quotes from all the different characters, by all the different characters, I mean all three Blackwoods that appear in the main books that have speaking roles. It's an exchange between Jamie Lannister and Tytos Blackwood during the negotiation. Oh yes, also, thank you, Kraken Queen. Please slam the like button, hit that bell, uh, bell button so you get notifications when we go live. All the other fun stuff, you know you want to, do it for the Black. Do it for the dead ravens. Do it for the thousands of ravens that dead weirwood and the thousands of ravens that are sitting in its branches. I am the dead. You all are the ravens in the tree. Do it. Do it for the ravens. Yeah, this is a really good quote. And I think it says a lot about Titus Blackwood and where the Blackwoods are going, what their role will be in the winds of winter and probably a dream of spring. So during this exchange, they are talking about what has happened to the Tullys in the aftermath of the Red Wedding. Lord Titus has just asked about where is Edmure Tully? Like, you know, he's like, for the sake of my honor, and I guess I should ask, where's my leash lord? Jamie responds, Sir Edmure is on his way to Cashley Rock as my captive. His wife will remain at the twins until their child is born. Then she and the babe will join him. So long as he's not attempt to escape or plot rebellion, Edmure will live a long life, long and bitter, a life without honor. Until his dying day, men will say he was afraid to fight. That is quite a quote from Titus Blackwood about what his opinion of Edmure is at the moment, what the Lancers are doing to him, what his view of living under captivity and under the heel of someone else says. Titus is the guy that will go down, one of the last guy going down with a sword in his hand. And I think that's a really subtly interesting quote about the mindset of Titus Blackwood, the rest of his house, and what exactly they're planning to do with the rest of their time in these books. Spoilers, 
it's going to be, this is just the beginning. Phytos is not just going to lay down and rebuild his lands. He's, he's got something else in mind. So just to summarize the past three streams, as it were, what, what have we learned about the Blackwoods? What have we picked up from what George is telling us about them? What are the traits of their house? Their, how do they fight? What is their motivations? Why are they doing any of this? Why are they the last ones with the Stark banner above their house? Why are they the ones still under siege when everyone else has gotten paid off and got with the mainstream sworn back to common? Why not the Blackwoods? What ha- what's going on with them? So the general path or ethos, I guess, that the Blackwoods have is that they tend to hold on to vengeance for quite a long time. They, they will be the last ones fighting. They will be the ones down <laughs> hiding in the trees, shooting arrows. They will be the last defense of their side. They don't compromise. They bend their morals. They don't, they don't just do what is smart. They pretty much always do what they think is right. Like in a particular example, the Blackwoods are notable for being on the side of the Blacks during the Dance with the Dragons. But you remember, going back to the Great Councils, they're the ones that voted for Rhaenys in, well, not, not exactly Rhaenys. They voted for the Valarians versus even King Viserys. But after they were swore to defend uh, Rhaenyra, they kept their word the whole way through. They never gave up. And their guerrilla tactics, the way that they sort of whittle people down and then attack with a surprising army out of nowhere and use trickery and guile is really hallmarks of them. You know, Bloodraven at White Walls is kind of pretty instructive for their general way of approaching things, that he is a prototypical Blackwood rather than an exception because, you know, he's an albino bastard and kind of a weird guy. You know, think of what he's doing as Maynard Plum. He's sitting back, he's gathering information, he learns where and when he needs to strike before he does so, and then shows up in force for an easy win. And that is relatively typical. When you look at Fish Feed, and when you look at the other battles that Benjicott and the rest of the Blackwoods have won, there's no, you should never count them out. George wants you, wants you to think that like, ah, they're done, nothing else is going to happen. Maybe they're ignoring things, but there's always a plan. There's always something going on with them. And unfortunately, a lot of this decisiveness is really sidetracked specifically at the Brackens. And if there is a weakness to this house and the way they react, it is that they tend to get blinded by vengeance. They tend to get obsessed with getting revenge and correcting wrongs and sticking to their guns. And it stops them from really excelling. That's the story of the Justmans. The one time, the one time they made up with the Brackens, they joined with them, and they forgot about their thousands of years of house drama between them. They became, through uh, Benedict Justman, the Lords of the Riverlands almost overnight. They're really, it's their fatal flaw and their greatest strength. Yeah, he has a lot of fun in Maynard Plum. Reading Blood Raven as Maynard Plum. Plum is a lot. It is a really good time. And hey, look, that's the story of Bloodraven and Bittersteel. We talked about this last time that Bloodraven's hatred of Bittersteel and his focusing on him and the Blackfires creates a perception within Westeros. And you see that character say it to him in the Mystery Night that they're like, well, you know, Bloodraven is obsessed and there's more he could be doing for the realm and his people. But 
he has to defeat Bittersteel. And Blood Raven kind of rolls his eye at that, but it's it's true. And that's sort of the story of the Blackwoods in general. I mean, that's also just sort of a theme that George uses often, that that's the story of the others versus the humans, that the hu- the others are sort of just sitting back and letting them squabble amongst each other because they know that hu- nobody's better at killing humans than humans. They really don't have to do anything for uh, them to screw each other. Yeah, you know, the, the they're fighting over mills and ridges and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a giant existential threat hanging over them. That's kind of typical. And that's in a way, not only are they their own characters, but George loves using them as a microcosm of the larger plot at play. But, yeah, they're also, as I said, they are a family that will literally never give up. They will never give up the their cause. They will never give up on their family members. They will never give up on what they think is especially their liege lords. My God, are they loyal? They are the most loyal. They are loyalty personified. And the dead Weirwood is kind of instructive for that as their sigil. You know, the Weirwood is long dead. There's no leaves coming ever again. Titus says that a thousand years it will be turned to rock. And yet, what do the Blackwoods keep doing? They're still worshiping their dead Weirwood god. They still bury their dead beneath it, and they proudly wear it on their chests. It's not that they don't care that it's dead. It still has meaning to them, and they carry it around. You know, they're, they are literally the thousands of ravens that roost on the colossal weirwood every night. The cause is lost. The weirwood is dead. But they'll be damned if anyone takes that from them. It's their dead weirwood. They'll be the ones that stand by it, which is kind of suicidal, but also kind of noble in a way. They, they definitely seem like a house that's on their way to just destroy themselves for a cause. But yeah, they will be the last to fall in any battle. They will be the last ones fighting. And that's basically what we see for them in after the Red Wedding. But we're going to get to it a little bit. You know, they are family. They are duty. They are honor. Although I don't know about the honor part. I mean, Blood Raven is not particularly honorable. It's more effective than honor. But they do take it seriously. They they have an ethos, especially Tygos Blackwood, that they will carry to their grave. And they don't care if that's if it's those things that will lead them there. They consider that a a positive they consider that the only way to live like think about agnes blackwood telling harwin Hoare to fuck off the king of the iron islands bloody ben black alley and rob rivers fighting a war against literal dragon lords in the riverlands and winning which is kind of crazy taking out the westermen at fish feed you have blood raven ruling westeros's hand and later becoming the literal old gods himself you know and i think another way of thinking about it is because we know that a lot of ravens tend to have skin changers or singers in them when you think about the idea that the ravens roost on the weirwoods that literally could be you can think of the ravens as the blackwoods themselves thousands of generations of tall lanky black-haired black-eyed blackwood skin changers that even in death are standing watch over their home the quote here is do the do the birds have singers in them do all the birds have singers in them all lord brindon said it was the ravens who fought the first men to send, who taught the first men to send messages by raven. But in those days, the birds would speak the words. The trees remember, but men forget. So, yeah, th- combining this, and this is something I found really interesting going back and reading it, is if you compare what's being told to Bran, and then you compare it back to the uh, Jamie going to Raven Tree Hall, there's an odd synergy between them that George is playing with the idea. He's like, on one hand, he's like, look, all these ravens have singers in them cut to raven tree hall the home of blood raven or the home of his family and 
thousands of ravens that all sit on a rearwood. Kind of makes you wonder about the mystical side of the Blackwoods. It doesn't have to be literally true, but it can be sort of symbolically true. Want to talk Blood Raven all day? Yeah. Or been there, done that. This is also just sort of like a random thought, but it kind of makes you wonder about that, uh, that offhanded comment that, that Blood Raven knows that all the birds have singers in them. Did he have the same experience when he visited Raven Tree Hall? When he was a young, weird boy standing underneath the dead weirwood tree that towers above the trees, and then flocks of ravens come in, sort of like we see that happens to, uh, to Sam when Coldhand meets him. How many of those did he realize had singers in them? How many of them had his ancestors in them? Did he learn to command flocks of ravens by doing it at Raven Tree Hall? It's quite possible. George is a tricky son of a bitch. Yes, he is. It's, it's interesting how he weaves them together, but those are some, those are f- some fun thoughts, but let's get to the actual, you know, book. Let's get to the book. So how do the Blackwoods show up in the main series? So they are first introduced by Catelyn Stark when she's doing her amazing I know everything mind vault trick. As I said before, Catelyn's ability to deliver exposition for George is almost unmatched. She knows everything and everyone. And she actually starts off her list of the River Lords with, of course, the Blackwoods. Catelyn knew them all, the Blackwoods and Brackens, ever enemies whose quarrels her father was obliged to settle. That's their introductions. That's the first time we hear about them. So, a.k.a. the drama. Lord Titus Blackwood, Lord Jonas Bracken had quarreled over. Well, I'm just going to guess it's the Teats. It's always the Teats. They're always fighting over the Teats. But, you know, some of the other lands between them. We learn later in A Dance with Dragons that Jonas has a list of grievances. Not a map, just ready to go. So, it was probably those. Thanks, Aegon IV. You had taken a... Rivalry had gone cold and made it hot, and it's still alive now between Titus and Jonos. Way to go, buddy. You're such a good king. And a lot of the history we've been talking about, and I was just talking about that we've been studying for so many hours now, expanded on this first piece of information. What's the first thing George wants you to know about the Blackwoods? It's that they are always feuding, and that it's almost always with the Brackens. That they are obstinate, and they'll stick to their cause and grievances forever. It's a good starting point, and Obviously, he expands on that. Old hands fostered at Raven Tree Hall. It's known. Yeah, sure. Sure. If he's one of the Raven's teeth, who knows? Maybe. If you're right, that means Blood Raven has eyes everywhere, just like his saying in the Dunkin' Egg books. It would be funny to think that he does check in on Raven Tree Hall every once in a while. So how, how do they literally enter the page? And that is, of course, with Titus Blackwood, Lord of Raven Tree Hall, and the owner of the single coolest cloak in the story. I don't care what you have to say, Lord Titus fashion icon. That's what he's doing. He's got his magnificent uh, raven feather cloak, and it really makes him stand out among the other lords. And it's something that fascinates Catelyn, and by extension, it's supposed to be for you, the reader, that he looks like almost like a wizard or something like that. He does. He looks out of place. He's different. And not only that, but he enjoys looking that way. He enjoys looking powerful and magnificent otherworldly kind of showy you know he has a lot of pride and he enjoys letting everyone know that he's lord blackwood he's not just another guy with a with a a sigil on his chest he is living the raven life (laughs) it's safe to say that there are probably few characters in a song of ice and fire that is 
as proud of being a Blackwood or being a member of their house than Tidos Blackwood. He, he considers it seriously. I'm betting that if he had the opportunity to speak freely, which he doesn't in front of Jamie, that he could rattle off the, the total history of every Lord of House Blackwood. His son, Hoster, basically does the same thing until Jamie tells him to shut up. <laughs> Typical Blackwoods fashionistas. They are. They are. And that's one of those things that's kind of uh, indicative of them. They are different and they're proud to be so, which is usually something you don't see among lords. Most of the time, they're trying to fit in, so they're not singled out. The Blackwoods don't care. They they follow the old gods, and they're going to tell you. They don't give a shit. Try and make them stop. Thousands of, thousands of years of Andals have tried. They don't care. So this is the description that we get from him in A Dance with Dragons. There's earlier ones from Catelyn, where, where Tytos walks in the room, and she goes, Oh my god. Can't keep her eyes off Tytos, but this is how Jamie describes him. Lord Tytos Blackwood met him in the outer ward, mounted on a destrier as gaunt as himself. Very tall and very thin, the Lord of Raventree had a hook nose, long hair, and ragged salt and pepper beard that showed more salt than pepper. In silver and in wait, what does this say? Silver inlay on the breastplate of his burnished scarlet armor was a white tree barren dead, surrounded by a flock of onyx looking of onyx ravens taking flight. A cloak of raven feathers fluttered from his shoulders. Uh, there's, when we meet him the first time, this is actually his second set of armor because Fashionista Titus Blackwood has two sets. Two sets of extremely cool looking armor. The earlier one was gold armor. It was described as his bright yellow armor was inlaid with jet in elaborate vine and leaf patterns and a cloak sewn from raven feathers draped his thin shoulders. Part of this is because this is the sort of behind the scenes. George decided that he wanted to change the Blackwood sigil from when they were first introduced to when they were later in the books. So the first sigil is four black ravens on a on scarlet within a border of black ivy on gold. And then the second one is a flock of ravens on scarlet surrounding a dead weirwood on a black. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Eschun? Basically, it's the one that's on the stream thumbnail, you know, the one with the, the weirwood sigil and the ravens are on the outside. That's their second sigil, George retconned them. And part of the reason it looks like that he retconned them is because after introducing them, George's interest and his use for them expanded greatly. Remember, the first one did not have the weirwood on it. It's only after he invented Blood Raven that all of a sudden they have to have a weirwood on it. Kind of interesting. Yeah, and these changes roughly arrive around the same time as Brendan Rivers, showing that when George decided that Brendan Rivers was a character, he then modified the Blackwood sigil and really expanded information on them so that the whole thing didn't feel like as much as a retcon. But again, if you look back at the other sigil, it's like, oh yeah, he did make this a little different. It's almost like George got fascinated with them and he's like, you know, I can do more with them and decided he would. George loves ravens. Your ripoff sigil. Yeah. Or mine. This one. Basically a Blackwood sigil, but it's the second one. I, I do find it interesting the first one is just a bunch of ravens. He later included the Weirwood. Almost like it means something. So what does Tidos do in the books? 
He's actually a sneakily important character, especially to Rob Stark's time as King of the North and Rivers. His first actions in A Song of Ice and Fire are actually setting a pretty impressive tone for Tidos as a character. The first thing that happens to him is that they get ambushed by Jamie Lannister during the battle under the walls of River Run. This is the infamous attack by the Lannisters that scattered the Riverlanders and led to Edmure getting captured for the first time. He later gets captured again and River, River Run being put under siege. So what happens at this battle is that the Riverland, Riverlanders get totally surprised. Um, the Lannisters show up, kill a bunch of them, and everyone scatters and runs home to their halls. But not Tidos. Rather than running back to Raventree Hall and protecting his lands, he instead rallies the troops that are there and runs back into River Run and holds it, making sure that the Lannisters can't take the Tully stronghold and sits there under siege willingly. Nobody else does this. Nobody else thinks to do it. He's the only lord that does it. Tidos is, again, loyal to a fault. It's pretty incredible. And this is his introduction. It's like, wow, nobody else thought to do that. Nobody else cared about the Tullys and their home enough to actually make sure that the Lannisters couldn't sack. No, it's just Tidos Blackwood. Oh, a super chat here from Morley. $20, just a show of love and support. Love, love, love all the content. Thank you so much, Mar. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the super chat. And again, this is a running theme that George expands on later in the books that the Tidos Blackwood in particular, but the Blackwoods in general are fierce. They are loyal. They are militant. And to their overlords and to those that they swear fealty to, they will be the last guys falling with them. Everyone else is like, screw the Tullys. I'm going home. I got my own people to worry about. The Lannisters might seize my home. And Tidos is like, you know what? Fuck that. We're making sure that nothing's happening to the to River Run. And of course, what ends up happening to him is exactly why all the other river lords ran home. Raventree Hall is taken by the Lannisters in response, something that obviously Tidos knew would happen and did it anyway. Again, loyalty, duty, honor, important parts of Tidos Blackwood. And Catelyn really does think highly of Lord Tidos. And it's not just because he looks so cool. It's that there is a residence there that the especially from her time, I think, with the Starks, that Tidos reminds her a lot of Ned, that he reminds her of the Northerners that she's met in her time with the Starks, but also her Tully family, that there's a lot of overlap in his general demeanor and way of looking in the world with, obviously, her favorite uncle, Brynden Tully. It's almost like he's a, Tidos is a weird fusion of the two. He's like, he's like some part Brynden Tully, but he's also some part Ned Stark, all in one guy wearing a very cool raven feather cloak. You could almost, almost make the suggestion that Catelyn looks at Tidos and is very appraising of him. That I wouldn't be surprised in a world where Catelyn is allowed to marry anyone she want, that if she wouldn't consider Tidos Blackwood. Oh, doing your taxes? I have to do that too soon. Oh, Of course, this is not the end of Tidos' service at um, River Run. When Rob shows up with the Northern Army to lift the siege and ends up taking Jamie by surprise and taking him under captured, the reason that Rob is able to do that is because of Tidos Blackwood. Tidos puts on his raven feather cloak and personally leads his soldiers, who, by the way, have been under siege, out from River Run and attacks the main Lannister camp, not only freeing Edmure Tully, 
but scattering their their command structure, which allows Rob and the rest of the northern forces to scatter the rest of the army and make sure they capture Jamie. Again, Titus Blackwood MVP. He's a main reason that 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 fight worked because not only are being surprised by the northerners showing up, all of a sudden there's guys riding out from River Run and also, you know, hammer and anvoying the Lannister forces. A plus work from Titus Blackwood. We all deserve a Titus Blackwood in our lives. He's the most loyal, the best. And then afterwards, Titus, he joins Rob's cause very quickly and makes an entrance by joining Rob and the other northern lords by praying in front of the Weirwoods, which Catelyn notices, but surely other river lords do too, that Titus sees something in Rob Stark that he latches onto. He sees his quality of character. He sees kind of a resonance between them. This is kind of what I was talking about, that it seems that Catelyn recognizes something in Titus Blackwood that she knows and loves from people like Ned Stark. And it's especially here that it comes out. From a cynical way of looking at it, you could see that all the River Lords see the writing on the wall that Rob Stark is probably on his way to being King of the North after rebelling against the Lannisters. And he may end up being the King of the Trident as well from his Tully bloodline. Certainly, Hoster Tully is going to throw everything behind his grandson if it has the opportunity to make royalty of his family. And you can see here that Tidos is has an inside track among the river lords to make sure that he's not only valuable to his future potential liege lord in Rob Stark, but somebody that he can relate to, that they'd pray to the old gods, that they have a similarity of worldview, they have a similarity of religious beliefs. None of the other river lords have that. In particular, the Brackens. Need to reread the books. I barely noticed Titus until he talks to Jamie. Definitely go back and do a Titus read, a Blackwood reread. But yeah, you def, definitely go back and pay attention to what he does. It's, it's kind of fascinating, but it's, it's not done all in your face. We don't see the, these are all being told to us as things that have happened, except for obviously standing in front of the Weirwood with the rest of the Northern Lords. But it's also important that Titus fits in. He doesn't look out of place. Instead, it's natural, at least from Catelyn's perspective, that Titus should be there. Him and his raven feather cloak deserves to be among the other Northerners. And part of that is history, but it's not just like, oh, we are from the North thousands of years ago. They have clearly kept a, an outlook, a worldview that is still resonant with their Northern, Northern roots. And then, of course, this is after Titus has, de- has demonstrated his tremendous skill but not only holding Riverrun, but then leading the attack afterwards during the ambush, which also, by the way, he probably didn't know it was coming. He saw the Northern Army show up and then says, boys, get on your horses. We're riding out and we're taking out the Lannisters. And they do. Pretty amazing stuff. And tremendous loyalty that he values Riverrun and Edmure more than his own holdings. There aren't many lords in Westeros that can make the same claim that they would allow an occupying force to take their home rather than give up their liege lords. That's that's something else. That is really uncommon. Yeah, and again, like obviously Catelyn sees a lot of Ned and she sees a lot of Brendan Blackfish in this character. And this is something that's a little bit in between the lines when you go back and read this. It's that the other river lords, and particularly the Brackens and Freys, Definitely seem to be a little nervous about the Lord of Raventree Hall that 
he may be in a prime position to secure a marriage alliance to Rob Stark or his siblings as he comes south. There, he has the greatest connections. Obviously, Catelyn Stark is enamored with the man. Rob Stark is as well. They can see what the writing on the wall, as I was talking about earlier, like, hey, they, we may end up being screwed here. An obvious match that could be made that doesn't end up happening, but had things gone differently, is that one of Tytos's many sons could have been married to Sansa or Arya. Probably Arya. That one would make the most sense. But he also has his young daughter, Bethany. In another timeline, you could definitely see the idea that maybe Bran Stark may have been betrothed to Bethany Blackwood. Certainly has happened many times before. Yeah, if no Red Wedding and if the Starks don't get scattered, this is a this is a potentially pretty important marriage alliance that could happen that Titus has the inside track on. Bran or Rickon definitely seems on the table. Arya to one of the Blackwood's sons in order to secure that alliance definitely makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of interesting that if you think about it, if Bran Stark had was married to a Blackwood, well, he sort of is now anyway. That has happened just, you know, in a, in a very strange way involving Weirwood roots and Weirwood pace. But the connections between Bran and the Blackwoods kind of show up here. But there's a strange thing about Tytos, and that's this is something that's important when you're talking about warfare. And there's the difference between strategy and tactics. Tactics is how do you win a battle once you're in it? But strategy is should you be in that battle at all? And what are the greater goals of your campaign? Tidos is great at tactics. He's not great at strategy. And this shows up in particular with Edmure's famous blunder. The one that people in the chat are roasting him over. Edmure sucks. He screwed up everything. I'm going to go ahead and defend Edmure here because one of the primary reasons that Edmure makes that crazy decision to fight the Lannisters and stop Tywin from going into the Western Lands to attack Rob's army is because of Tytos Blackwood. During war councils, Tytos has a suggestion, and his is that they should not wait for, for Tywin to make a move. They should not wait for Tywin to go to the Western Lands. They know where he is. He's at Harrenhal. They should take Roose Bolton's army and strike now, surround the Lannisters, and siege them out at Harrenhal and kill them. Now, it does make some good sense, okay? Tywin is a sitting duck at Harrenhal, and obviously, as we know from Fire and Blood, there's definitely a history of the Blackwoods finding Westermen at the shores of Harrenhal and killing them. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked at all if part of Tyos's thinking is like, we can do another fish feed. We could fish feed Tywin Lannister. And it makes a lot, it makes some sense. Not only are the Blackwoods obsessed with vengeance, why would they, why would he have vengeance against Tywin Lannister? Well, because of that earlier thing I talked about, you know, where the Lannisters showed up and sacked his lands and burned everything and killed their, killed their animals and his people and all that other kind of stuff. Tidos didn't forget the Lannisters just did that. And it's Tywin who ordered it. And it's also Tywin who ordered Gregor Clegane to burn the Riverlands in his name. So, Tyos wants revenge, and he sees it. He sees they can get it by taking out Tywin at Harrenhal. Doesn't end up working, but it's also a relatively good strategic idea in the idea that the Lannisters are basically Tywin. If Tywin's dead, the Lannister forces will fall apart, especially since, you know, they have Jaime Lannister. 
Nobody thinks that Turing would be able to do it. Everyone knows Cersei wouldn't be able to do it. And Joffrey is a psychopath. So you kill Tywin, you win the war for Rob, effectively. He's essentially trying to assassinate Tywin with troops. But there is a problem here. And that's the one that comes up after, after the Edmure's blunder, basically. Part of the reason that Edmure agrees to it is that he suggests that they should attack the Lannisters and stop them and throw them back and win a victory. And Arya's rationale is that he says to Catelyn, well, Jonos Blackwood, I mean, Jonos Bracken and Titus Blackwood both thought it was a good idea. When have those two ever, dis- ever agreed on anything? And Catelyn's like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's true. They don't agree on anything. But if they agreed to that plan, maybe there's some merit to it. Unfortunately, it's a plan that totally fucks over Rob. It stops Tywin from going into the Westerlands, being trapped in his lands, and, and being ambushed, which is, of course, Rob's plan. But they didn't know that because they didn't communicate. That's sort of a failure for Brendan Tully and Rob. But it also allows the Lannisters to retreat and defend King's Landing and end up coming on top after Renly's death. So, in a way, Titus' strategy fucks them. <laughs> and his uh, advice to Rob, I mean, to Edmure, does the same thing. Although it's important to note that it seems probably that Titus agreed to it largely because it gave him the opportunity to kill a bunch of Lannisters, which he's invested in at this point. So it, it's a flawed suggestion, and it's one that's not working so great. This is, again, the thing I was talking about, about how the Blackwoods tend to get bogged down in vengeance, and that ends up sort of screwing them on a strategic level, even though it works for their the goal they're very committed to. The goal should not be to just kill a bunch of Lancers. The goal is to make sure that you destroy their army, which is what Rob and Brendan Tully were planning to do. You knock out that army, you take Tywin hostage, or you kill him, and it's over. There's no guarantee you're going to be able to starve them out at Hall, all that other kind of stuff. So, not great from Titus, but it shows that he's making, that his liege lords always take him seriously. It is very much... Edmure going like, I'm not sure this is a good idea, but if Titus thinks it is, maybe it actually is. So yeah, there's also the, that Titus unexpectedly makes the very much behind the idea of Rob Stark, King of the North and also King of the Riverlands. He makes the argument that they should be independent, that he basically says, I don't want to be Renly's vassal. I don't want to be Stannis' vassal. I don't want to be Joffrey's. We should secede and we'll use Rob to do it. Again, makes sense. And that's sort of that's sort of where the Titus involvement in the first three books ends. Although he does do something interesting, and it's that as Catelyn Stark goes down to meet with Renly and Stannis and try to broker a deal, perhaps between Rob and the two of them, or at least stop them from fighting, Lucas Blackwood, Titus's second son, is sent as her bodyguard, basically, and he goes with her everywhere. So in a way, you can see this as almost information gathering in a way that even from a Titus is making sure that <clears throat> he's pulling a blood raven. He wants to know what's happening. He wants to have an inside information about what's going on between the two Burian brothers. What's the war like in the South? And clearly that he doesn't, he wants it from somebody he can trust and he chooses Lucas. There's also an interesting point that when Lucas returns, Unlike the rest of the men, when they're riding back into camp with Catelyn, Lucas is the one that says, I'll see you guys later. And before going to see Rob, 
and following Catelyn, he goes and finds Tytos and basically tells them everything he saw in the South. So everything that's about to happen, Tytos gets his own unfiltered, basically, information from his son. He takes part in, about, in a bunch of battles. We don't really hear much from Lucas. He only has a few lines, but obviously the Blackwoods are, you know, victims of the Red Wedding. Real big bummer there. Lucas is one of those that Catelyn witnesses being killed along with some of the other Blackwood soldiers and stuff like that. Not, not awesome. Luke, yeah, Lucas is among those killed. But after the Red Wedding and after Rob Stark's death, a lot of the River Lords effectively get where they say, you know, we lost our sons. Our king is dead. We don't really have much of an option. We, sh- we have to either capitulate to the Iron Throne, or risk being destroyed. Kaidos effectively gives his finger, gives the middle finger to that. He says, no, fuck that. I will not be bending the knee to anybody. And part of the reason is, of course, that the phrase have kept Lucas's body among many others. That was effectively one of the big parts of the Red Wedding, is that they did not dispose of the valuable corpses. They held on to them to use as bargaining chips to extract deals. That's largely what happens with the Manderleys. It happens with a few others as well. They they ransom back the remains, which is incredibly grim, but unfortunately effective for them. Jonas Bracken is among the River Lords who does capitulate to the to the Iron Throne. Tywin apparently wrote letters to Jonas where he tried to take advantage of the rivalry where he told Jonas Bracken, you know, if you take out the Blackwoods, which I know you want to do anyway, I'll give you like a quarter of their lands if you do it. Jonas, hating the Blackwoods and knowing that Rob Stark's cause is dead, jumps on it saying, hell yeah, this is a great idea. Signs back with the Lannisters and start and puts Raven Tree Hall under siege. And that's sort of where they've been hanging out for the rest since the Red Wedding. Raven Tree Hall is put under siege. And that's basically where the Blackwoods stay until we see them again in A Dance with Dragons. But just to sort of go back over what, we're, what we've been told about the Blackwoods and told about Tytos is that it's unlikely, to say the least, that Tytos has just been sitting on his hands and twiddling his thumbs and waiting for something to happen. He's the kind of guy that rode out from a siege and instantly attacked Jamie Lannister the second he could. He's not just sitting under siege there will be plans being made he will have a strategy for what he will do as soon as he can get out from under jonas bracken's siege the dorner's name says i'm intrigued as to why lucas wasn't kept as a hostage like patrick Malister and the great john part of the reason and this is gonna i was gonna bring this up a little bit later but the blackwoods are actually in house Frey, lothar Frey. his mother was a blackwood lord walder's fourth wife again was a blackwood so there seems to have been some treachery within the Blackwood Frey family, I guess, where rather than sparing their kin, I guess they took it personally, or they have some sort of rivalry with them, and in particular, killed Lucas Blackwood, and instead of taking him hostage to send him back. Maybe they knew that Tytos wouldn't pay for it anyway, but... It's a sticking point for Tytos that he knows it's his cousins that killed Lucas. So there's there's some there's some bad blood there between the Freys and the Blackwoods that I'm sure George is not done with. 
So what has been happening since then? He's been under siege. They're running low on food. Jamie, there's, I think there's one Jamie Pat chapter in A Dance of Dragons, and we get to see Raven Tree Hall. It's really cool. Jamie rides up, and it honestly looks a lot like Winterfell. It has the same kind of turrets. It has this sort of old feeling to it. It has the biggest weirwood that Jamie has ever seen. He says it towers above the canopy. Something like White Tree Village, huge levels of weirwood we're talking about. Honestly, yeah, it is a lot like Winterfell. I think this is intentional. George is early on in the books, drew the comparisons between the Northerners and the Blackwoods. And it's the same thing here. Obviously, Raven Tree Hall was built long ago, but they also haven't had to rebuild it. That's an important thing about it. This is not a half a ruin sort of like Winterfell is where it's been taken by the Boltons and sacked and burned a few times and they've had to rebuild it and expand it. Raven Tree Hall is pretty much in pristine condition, despite the fact that it's been there for thousands of years in the most volatile kingdom in all of Westeros. Pretty cool. Yes, <laughs> the Undertaker drops one of the greatest lines. When Jamie rides up, he meets with Jonas Bracken first, and he sees him having sex with a, calls her a turnip, but it's a, a camp follower, I guess, named Hilti, who also tries to seduce Jamie and also honks his dick, which is great stuff from him. You took me out of where it's my Lord House, not told if you're coming, and I seem to have prevented yours. Yeah, unfortunately, Jamie just blue balled Jonas Bracken. How dare he? How? dare he so at this point if you guys need a quick memory update is that jamie's mission has been to bring peace to the war ravaged riverlands there are still some stark loyalists out there and jamie's going around and negotiating peace and lifting sieges and doing all the things to stop the war that's still happening there he visits a whole bunch of castles in a row he's doing a lot of introspection and this is one this is literally his last stop before he has to go home. He's left the Blackwoods to last, presumably because he thinks it's going to be a pain in the ass that the Blackwoods and the Brackens are not fun to deal with, especially when they're dealing with each other. Well, although in particular, it is Carl Vance that asks Jamie to go put an end to it. But it's important to note that when Jamie arrives, the Stark banner is still fluttering in the wind above Raven Tree Hall. They are literally the last house in the Riverlands that has not sworn fealty back to the Iron Throne. They are the only ones still holding out, and they're doing it with no allies, under siege, no food anymore, and basically no hope of victory. Well, maybe no hope of victory. We're going to get to that. But this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, that George's continued characterization of the family, that they will follow their liege lords into the gates of hell they will carry the cause until the end of their days that they will put loyalty above personal safety every time and you see that here rob stark's dead the stark cause is gone the boltons rule in the north and who's the house in westeros that is under siege and still flying the stark banner blackwoods it's the blackwoods doing it who aren't even the stark's vassals separated by thousands of years bad blood between them in the north relatively recently sworn fealty to rob stark they still are the ones holding out last and there could be a little bit of gamesmanship to it too the blackwoods know they're powerful the blackwoods know that they are important so 
by holding out, they're making sure that somebody like Jamie's going to have to show up and make a deal with them. But it's it's more than that. It's not cynical by them. They take it seriously. They are still devoted to the Stark cause, even though the Stark cause is dead, much like their dead Weirwood sigil. They will follow their dead king to the end of the world, which we see from Titus Blackwood. There's actually a really good quote about this. Uh, Jonas is basically saying, like, listen, I deserve to be rewarded. I delivered the Blackwoods back to the Iron Throne. I did what I promised to your father. And then this is what he says. You must be blind as well as maimed, sir. Lift your eyes and you'll see the direwolf still flies above our walls. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the wrong one. That's the wrong quote. Oh, this is from Carl. Oh, wait, what is this quote from? Hang on a second. I'm going to try and find where this quote is from. I wrote it down a week ago and I totally forget what it's from. This is from A Feast for Crows. I'm sorry about this. I messed this up. I think this is Carl Vance. I forget where this is from. But the quote goes, you must be blind as well to maim, sir. Lift your eyes. You'll see the dire wolf, dire wolf still flies above our walls. I've seen him. He looks lonely. Harrenhal's fallen. Seagard and Maidenpool. The Brackens have bent the knee. I've got Titus Blackwood penned up in Raventree. Piper, Vance, and Mooton, all your bannermen have yielded. Only Riverrun remains. We have 20 times your number. 20 times... Oh, I think this is this must be Brendan Tully. This sounds like Brendan Tully. Twenty times the men requires twenty times the foods. How well are you provisioned, my lord? I think this is Brendan Tully. But again, laying the groundwork that the everyone knows that Lord Blackwood is Lord Blackwood is still holding out among anyone else. And yeah, that's Jamie and the Blackfish. I'm sorry about that. I got that one wrong. I'm glad I identified it was the Blackfish by the tone. And what's the current condition basically of the Blackwoods? Well, things aren't going great. Yet, as I was riding up, I saw Tully banners flying above the castle walls and the dire of the Stark as well. That would suggest Lord Tidos has not been subdued. That's Jamie's zinger back to Jonos about, like, I was going to deliver them. No, you didn't. He goes inside. He Jamie rides up after getting his dick honked by Hildy, and he meets Lord uh, Blackwood, who decides he's going to wear his second set of cool armor and is on a horse. That's the one from earlier about what he looks like, that he looks as gaunt as his horse, that much like, I guess, Stannis in a way, Lord Blackwood has decided that they will go down starving to death. They And there's a weird amount of respect between Jaime and Titus. Despite the fact that they have been on the opposite side of this war, Titus is a key part of Jaime's downfall and his capture. <laughs> They've been fighting against each other, and still there's there's respect between them that Jamie is not looking to really go over the top and punish Tidos. And Tidos isn't really insulting him either. He invites him inside to the castle. He doesn't make Jamie have to make a, a big speech or threaten him or anything. He lets down the gate. He walks inside. They go up to their salar. And this is essentially how the conversation goes. Lord Blackwood remains seated. They soon reach agreement on the major points. Confession guilty pardon and a certain sum of gold and silver be paid what lands will you require lord titus asked when jamie handed him the map he took one look and chuckled to be sure the turn cloak must be given as reward yes but a smaller one than he imagines for a similar service which of these lands will you consent to part with lord titus considered for a moment Woodhedge, crossbow ridge and buckle a ruin a ridge and a few hovels come my lord you must suffer for your treason he will want one of the mills at least. Mills were a valuable source of tax. The Lord received, received a tenth of all grain they ground. Lord's mill then. Grind corn is ours. So it's a very funny negotiation that's happening here where Jamie basically says to Titus, name your punishment. That doesn't really happen too often. 
Jamie's not demanding anything. He's not really pushing Titos. He's not really out extracting blood. He just goes like, listen, we both know you fucked up. So name your name, what you want to give up. Very unusual. Also shows a bit of a contempt that uh, Jamie has for Jonas Bracken that he doesn't think very highly of him. And again, this is probably similar that Jamie has a similar opinion of Titus Blackwood that he has to Brendan Tully, that in the sense that he let Brendan Tully go, he's letting Titus Blackwood go here. He's giving him an out. He's not in a, in a way he's kind of almost repudiating the ideas of Tywin. Tywin would not be kind about this. He might seize all of the Blackwood lands and give them to the Brackens. Titus is instead being given the opportunity to name his punishment if we could all be so lucky but there there's definitely a subplot to this and this is something that if you go back and read the chapter to pay attention to and it's that jamie is on guard the whole time and because he knows that Tidos is very different from most of the other lords he's dealt with in particular different from jonas bracken who is very much a blunt instrument in the world he's aware that Tidos blackwood is cagey he is smart and that there's some kind of manipulation going on here, but he's not quite sure what it is. And throughout the conversation, he kind of needles certain points trying to figure out what Titus is up to because he doesn't understand. It's a lot more like a verbal chess match than you would imagine. It's kind of plain on first reading, but really interesting going back and taking a look at it. That Titus is really holding back quite a bit. That he's letting Jamie dictate the conversation. He's not offering anything. And this is contrasted later with Jonas Bracken, who offers up that, oh, he has five daughters, meaning that and two of them are with his first wife and three with his third wife, basically offering up to Jamie. Oh, you should take. I just accidentally told you which one of my daughters you can probably take as hostages. It's very fascinating that way. So what does Titus get out of this agreement? Well, he wants Lucas Blackwood's bones back again. The phrase have taken it hostage and that Titus intends to bury Lucas under the weirwood this is again george reiterating the similarities between the blackwoods and the starks but also the blackwoods and blood blood raven and bran that if you think about it in a way un, blood, blood raven's weirwood cave is effectively a crypt for a lot of dead skin changers you know there's bones everywhere blood raven himself is basically a corpse there's a synergy there in the what we're being told is going to happen to lucas blackwood the idea that a tradition of their house is to effectively hook up to their dead to the weirwoods. That's fascinating. And it's kind of like an offhanded line. Jamie doesn't catch it, but you can. You're smart. You can see the the parallels. That could pronounce it Tito's. I am not pronouncing it Tito's, although maybe it was. I wonder how Roy Jotrice pronounced it. I bet it's the way I never would have thought. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to do a t-shirt giveaway. So we got 86 likes, 138 viewers everybody how you doing this saturday if you guys want to slam the like button up to 100 we'll do another giveaway give away a uh, gift certificate to my threadless shop so you can pick up a t-shirt a mug whatever you want just slam that like button and we'll get there and you you will be entered to win it's it but yeah going back to the idea of lucas being buried underneath it fascinating little drop there by george love to see it it really solidifies the ideas that I've been talking about earlier from like the age of heroes and how there's a relationship between the two houses that there are very few houses that do anything with weirwoods anymore. And it's the Blackwoods that are doing their own version of the Stark Crips. 
that they are burying their dead underneath the weirwoods and that the relationship between Bran and Bloodraven is one of that feels like lost kin in a way rather than just two random people devoted to Mariah. Didn't the Starks essentially steal the magic from the Blackwoods? That's my theory. I think the they are the descendants of the Ward King. And we talked about that, I think, in episode, in episode one of this stream. Oh, a super chat here from Tony Sled. Five Canadian dollars. Jamie trying to gauge Titus's feelings about the Red Wedding. If he believes the Lancers are cultable in a crime, Titus is quiet about Rob's wife. Very true. That's part of the t- chess match. Jamie is trying to feel out exactly how dangerous Titus is. And he comes away unsure of it. We're going we're gonna to talk about him more. Oh, another super chat from Kraken Queen. 50 PLN. Thank you guys so much. As always, excellent stream. Thank you for getting us all excited about the Blackwoods. What will be the next underestimated house you make us hyped about? I don't know. This one kind of came out of nowhere, so we'll figure it out. We got the Strongs and the Blackwoods on the currently done. I'm sure there'll be some other ones. Slam the like on your phone and your husband's. Thank you, Karina. So does everything Lucas know go into the Weirnet? Quite possibly. It's unclear if it would work because the Weirwood's dead, but that's definitely the implication here that they're going to Blood Raven <laughs> Lucas Blackwood. It's okay. Episode one is mostly about Age of Heroes stuff, and I talk about that. We're going to bring that up in a little bit. I say that a lot, but we're definitely going to, we're going to keep talking. There's some good stuff here. Oh, only two more for you guys to win yourself a gift certificate. And an important part of this negotiation is that Titus has to give up a member of his family as a hostage. Jamie is taking hostages all throughout the Riverlands. This is one of the main things he's out to do. But again, like with giving up the lands, Jamie basically allows Titus to pick what he's giving up instead of demanding anything. Jonas Bracken says that Jamie should take his only daughter, Bethany, because Titus is, it's his only daughter and he loves the girl and he doesn't want to see anything happen to her. And that's why Jonas says it because it will hurt the most. Jamie goes the other way and he says, well, it can't be any of your cousins or your aunt or your uncle or any of your random cousin, any of your (laughs) random Blackwoods hanging around. Pick among your sons who you want to send. Oh, you guys got there. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's pick a word to type in chat to enter to the giveaway. Type Titus. Let me go ahead and set that up. If you type the word Titus, T-Y-T-O-S in chat, you'll be entered to win yourself a something from my Threadless shop. $20 worth of stuff from my Threadless shop. So go ahead and uh, spam that chat. I always love to see it. Tidos has four remaining sons at this point. Two of them have died. As we talked about, Lucas Blackwood, his second son, died in the Red Wedding. His youngest son, Robert, has died during the siege from a loose bowel or something like that. That kind of sucks, but he's still got four left. He's got his heir, Brendan Blackwood, who we have not met yet. His third son, Hoster. His fourth son, Edmund. And his fifth son, Alan. So those are the four Blackwoods that are still alive, along with Bethany. Among them, there's a little back and forth, basically. And Jamie agrees to take Hoster Tully. I mean, Hoster Blackwood. Again, the names are kind of interesting how they're lining up. The important people from the Tullys are Hoster and Brynden. And then you look at the Blackwood family, you have another Hoster. You have another Brynden. And also, I mean, there's Edmund and Ed Muir. Those are pretty close. Almost like George is trying to draw a comparison between the Blackwoods and the Tullys. Uh, let's see here. So it's 328, 330. We'll go ahead and pull it. Remember, type Black Titos in chat if you want to win. You get yourself your own ass waffle or not quite 
Blackwood, but spooky tree merch or the magician merch with the cool hat. We'll do cool hat at 125 likes, which works completely for Titus. He's like, great. You're not taking my heir. You're not taking my beloved daughter. You took one of the sons. Great. And this is almost kind of hurting Jamie's cause in a way because he knows this isn't, he knows that Titus does care about his family, but among them, Hoster is seen as the least valuable hostage. He's not the heir. He's not a particularly impressive son. He's not particularly beloved by Titus either. He knows he's letting him off the hook. That's basically what this negotiation has been, that it may be in a, in a sneaky way that Jamie's trying to say, like, I'm taking it easy on you so that you'll come back into the fold and not continue with your start crusade. You want that coffee mug? You can buy that coffee mug at joemagician.threadless.com. You can pick it up there among the other merch. Hang on a second. Let me put that in there. I mean, the links are in the description, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw it here if you want to see what you could win or you could buy with your winnings. Yeah, Hoster Tully's not a great guy, but Hoster Blackwood seems pretty cool. All right, last call. Last call. We're going to go ahead and pull it here. Roll to win. We got 32 of you entered out of 140. Oh, what was that? Oh, DoorDash. I didn't order anything. What are they trying to message me for? Stop sending me messages, DoorDash. I don't want to buy food right now. All right, here we go. And Clow, congratulations, Ann. You, I believe you won a while back. You won the calendar, the signed calendar, right? Lucky Ann, always winning stuff, apparently. So we, we get to meet Hoster Blackwood, and he's effectively a gigantic nerd. He's extremely tall, but he's also uh, very gangly. He's extremely smart and quite bookish. Weirdly, the first thing that Jamie thinks about talking with talking with Hoster Blackwood, he goes, this kid's a lot like Tyrion. He has that kind of mind. He has that kind of interest of, of book learning and just a perspective that I don't have. And it's it's kind of strange that it's like a Tyrion that Jamie can still like. And it's sort of there's not he doesn't show affection for Hoster Tully. But he's not outright hostile and he doesn't dismiss him like he does so many other people that the the resonance between Tyrion and Hoster is something that he thinks about. Like he treats a lot of other people like pieces of shit. He doesn't treat Hoster Blackwood like a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. And you can go ahead and send me a message on Twitter or at AskJoeMagician at gmail.com. I'll send you a code. Oh, another super chat, a super sticker from Maura Lee for $20. Thank you again, Maura. Really appreciate it always the best but there is kind of a sneakiness to this that hoster blackwood is as i said very much a nerd very much he likes sitting in libraries and reading books and jamie makes the case that there's a there's a pretty big library in king's landing and it may be that jamie understands that he's doing titus a favor by taking hoster blackwood because exposing hoster hoster blackwood to King's Landing and the King's Landing Library and Maesters and other learned people may convince the boy to join the Maesters. Very much not like other shithead fathers out there, where this is, he's being sent as a hostage for Titus's good behavior, but he's also sort of giving a push towards a future that he could take, rather than having to be part of his war of vengeance and part of the feud with the, with the Brackens. He's kind of almost saving Hoster in a way. Does oh Sasuke says does Threadless print stickers too? We should all get Aswaffle stickers. Yes, it does. It does. I believe it sells stickers. Pretty sure it does. Let me check this out. Yeah, you can get stickers if you feel like it. You don't have to buy a t-shirt. You can get whatever you want. It just happens to cover the cost of a t-shirt. And along with this, with Jamie allowing Titus to give up the lands he wants, 
he you can probably imagine that the lands that Tidos gives up are ones that either he doesn't care about or ones that, that he thinks he can get back easily. That he must have had a mental list in his head of what are the lands that I won't miss or I can take back? And those are the ones he gives, knowing that Jamie won't know the difference. Kind of interesting. This is what I'm getting at with the chess match. When you, If you read this conversation closely, it does seem like it's more Tidos negotiating well against Jamie because Jamie doesn't understand what he's after. He doesn't understand Tidos that well. And Tyos isn't giving him any hints. And one of the major things in this negotiation between Tyos and Jamie is that Jamie insists that Tyos has to give up a mill. And Tyos thinks about it for a second. And he says, oh, you can have this mill. And it's that's one of the things that placates Jonas the most. But remember, if you're thinking about the current state of the Riverlands, they don't have a harvest. A lot of it has been stolen. A lot of it has been burned. Jamie's been encouraging all the river lords he talks to to try and plant the last harvest beforehand, but there's nothing to mill. They don't have grain. The Blackwoods have had everything stolen. So in a sense, it's important that he's giving up a mill to Jonas Bracken, but in another sense, it means nothing. It's a, it's an asset that won't help Jonas and it won't help and won't hurt Titus to give up. So in that way, all the things that Titus gives up aren't really punishments to them he does have to give up some gold but he doesn't really care about that the the blackwoods are very wealthy and powerful house so whatever he'll get it back eventually now this is the part that i think it's the most interesting this is the part that's underlying this whole interaction i think gives us a really good hint about what to look for at the blackwoods in the winds of winter and a dream of spring and what's going to happen with them because this is not the end of what we're going to learn about the Blackwoods, this is not the end of them in the story. It's not just a quick negotiation with Jamie and it's over. Because the thing that happens right after this, so Jamie rides away, he has Hoster Blackwood with him, and they decide to go spend the night in Penny Tree. That Penny Tree, you know, Sir Arlen of Penny Tree, the place where the village hero, the future Dunkin' Egg story is likely to take place. That's where Jamie decides to go and spend the night. And while they're there, out of nowhere, somebody walks up to him and unbelievably finding Jamie Lannister at Penny Tree is Brienne of Tarth. Brienne walks up and she tells Jamie that she has found Sansa Stark and that she needs to come, that he needs to come with her. And it's very important. Jamie goes with her. And the subtext to this is that the last time we saw Brienne of Tarth, is that she was being hung by Lady Stoneheart and being forced to help her capture Jamie Lannister or die. Clearly, Brienne has chosen to help capture Jamie Lannister. And that's what happens here. Brienne is leading Jamie into a trap. And it's right after meeting Tyus Blackwood, and it's right after re- leaving Raven Tree Hall. That is quite a coincidence i would say quite a coincidence and i think there's a lot we can make from everything that happened at the end of this chapter and going into the winds of winter oh guilty undertakers are any good fan art of hoster blackwood he doesn't have a picture in the wiki i don't think so i don't think anybody is a big hoster blackwood fan but he would just be a tall gangly guy with dark hair kind of like adam driver maybe before he bulked up very very interesting so what happened what happened that wasn't on the page? What happened that's important and tells us a lot about what Titus Blackwood was actually being cagey about 
what is the Blackwoods plan with, with the winds of winter. So there's, there's an important thing that's going on. The, as I said earlier, the Blackwoods will fight for dead causes. They will fight for their leech Lords. Even if they're dead, they will fight for anything. As long as they're still, even if there's no hope, they're going down swinging. And Jamie thinks that because he was nice to Tito's Blackwood, because he let him have a lot of concessions that Tito's has now given up on the Starks and the Tollies, that he's now a man of the Iron Throne. And I submit, looking at their history and everything we know about them and Tito's Blackwood, that Jamie is foolish to believe that. He is foolish to believe that Tito's Blackwood has not been up to something and that he doesn't have a plan for now that the siege is lifted. And I think there's a hint of that in a few lines that come from their conversation. Really interesting ones. So so this is Titus Blackwood talking. He says, we agree on that much. Blackwood's voice gave nothing away. What have you done with Sir Brynden, if I may ask? I offered to let him take the black. Instead, he fled. Jamie smiled. Do you have him here, perchance? No. Would you tell me if you did? It was Titus's black. It was Titus Blackwood's turn to smile. So Jamie suspects that after he let Brendan Tully go, that the first place he went was to Raventree Hall, the major, the last Stark loyalist still in the Riverlands. And Titus doesn't confirm it, but he does think he does smile at the suggestion. Interesting, very interesting. The man who has been stone-faced throughout this negotiation, who's been given nothing away, his reaction to Jamie asking if he has Brendan Tully, if you know where he is, is just to smile. That is very revealing. Jamie suspects, I think, incorrectly, that the Lord of Raventree Hall may currently be housing the Blackfish. I don't think that's true. I don't think the Blackfish is at Raventree Hall. But I'm pretty sure that Tyos does know where he is, and he may have been there recently or is in the nearby area. Because we see from when Jamie's riding up that the Bracken siege lines are not siege lines. They're just having an extended party, much like Jonos, just hanging out, making sure the Blackwoods don't leave, but there's not much discipline left. Nobody's firing arrows at each other anymore. There's no more skirmishes. They're just kind of hanging out. So it would be extremely easy. Or let's say a special ops kind of guy like Brendan Tully to sneak through the lines and meet with Titus Blackwood. Very, very likely that that has happened. And if you're Brendan Tully, Titus Blackwood is who you would go see. You would know that no matter what concessions he makes to Jamie Lannister, no matter what he says, that Titus is loyal to a fault. That he will never give up the cause of the Tullys. He will never give up the the cause of the Starks. So yes, I think it's extremely likely and that Jamie hit on it here that the Blackfish and Titus have been in contact, that he has at least met him. He may have been staying in at Raventree Hall for a little bit, but he's no longer there. So that's very fascinating. He may have even given the Blackfish what little food he had. He may have armed him. He may have given him information. But there's also another suggestion at play, and I think this is the one that's the more fascinating one. So, as I said, Jamie's kind of fishing for information. He's not really sure what Tidus is up to, and he really just throws out a lot of suggestions and see what sticks. 
And this is the one that actually sticks. This is the one where Tidos breaks character and looks especially guilty. He he looks a little guilty about the blackfish, but he knows he probably knows that no, I don't actually have the blackfish here. He's probably gone. But this is the one where Tidos goes, fuck. But of course, Jamie misses it. But we can catch it where Jamie did not. So Jamie's talking with Hoster Tully and also Titus. I am not your friend and I'm not your brother. That cleaned the grin off the, boy, off the boy's face. Jamie turned to Lord Titus. My lord, let there be no misunderstanding here. Lord Beric Dondarrion, Thoros Samir, Sandor Clegane, Brendan Tully, this woman Stoneheart. All these are outlaws and rebels, enemy to the king and all his leal subjects. If I should learn that you or yours are hiding them, protecting them, or assisting them in any way, I will not hesitate to send you your son's head. I hope you understand that. Understand this as well. I am no Ryman Frey. No. All trace of warmth had left Lord Blackwood's mouth. I know who I am dealing with, Kingslayer. Okay, so this is the one that hurts. This is the one where Tidos drops his, drops his attitude and knows that he's been caught. So let's go back through that list. You know, it's not Brendan Tully because obviously he only smiled at that one earlier. It didn't, it didn't really, he didn't act guilty about it. But the other ones, those are the ones to pay attention to. Barak Dondarrion, Thoros Samir, Sander Clegane, the woman's stone heart. Barak's dead, so it can't be that. Sander Clegane is also dead. Well, the, the false Sander Clegane is dead. Brienne killed him. Or no, I think it was, uh, Gendry that killed him at the inn with the in the battle with Brienne. So who's left? Thoros of Mir and Lady Stoneheart. Those are the two that piss off the Pios Blackwood. Those are the two that make him drop his kindly his kindly demeanor and go back to call Jamie Kingslayer. That's the key here. That's what we're talking about. It's the Brotherhood without banners that Titus has been in contact with. It's them that he's been collaborating with. It's Stoneheart. <laughs> it's Titus and Stoneheart. Because again, think about what I said at the end of the chapter. Jamie goes to Raven Tree Hall. He negotiates. He leaves. He goes to Penny Tree. And who shows up out of nowhere? Bran of Tarth, who is last with State Lady Stoneheart. So clearly the Brotherhood somehow knew where Jamie was staying and then walked up to Brienne and pushed her towards them, which tells you two things. They have really good information about what just happened at Raventree Hall and where Jamie was going. And two, they're close by. They're very close by. Within a day, they find Jamie and throw Brienne at him. <laughs> so I think there's been some suggestion um, about trying to figure out where the Brotherhood is hanging out. Where is this Weirwood cave that they've been sitting in? Where they've been basing their operations from? Tidos' reaction tells us they've been in or near the Blackwood lands. They've been hiding under one of the Weirwoods, not the Weirwood at Raven Tree Hall, but one that's nearby. And Tidos has been giving them shelter and help. That's, that's some spicy, spicy information that you can just get from Tidos' reaction to being called out on it. He knows Jamie caught him, except Jamie didn't catch him because he didn't pick up on it. Unsurprisingly, George is making sure that all the interesting thing in the Riverlands is happening in and around Penny Tree. It just keeps happening. Very, very fascinating. Is High Heart near the Blackwood Lands? Sort of. They're kind of close, but Penny Tree is a lot closer. Penny Tree is a lot closer to the, the Blackwood Lands than anything. 
So let's kind of unwrap this. Oh, here's the quote, by the way, of Brienne showing up. He posted sentries to see that no one left the confines of the village. He sent out scouts as well to make sure no enemy took them unawares. Spoiler, they did. It was near midnight when two came riding back with a woman they had taken captive. She wrote a bold as you please, my lord, demanding words with you. Jamie scrambled to his feet. My lady, I had not thought to see you again so soon. Gods be good. She looked ten years older than when I saw her last. And what's happened to her face? That bandage. You've been wounded. Hang on a second. Lost my place. A bite. She touched the hilt of her sword, the sword that had been given to her. Oathkeeper. My lord, you gave me a quest. Jamie's fucked. He's been completely trapped by Tidal's Blackwood and Lady Stoneheart. This whole setup, this whole thing, the negotiation, everything was for this. It was to get Brienne in front of Jamie to lure him back so Lady Stoneheart can capture him. And it worked. So I think this tells us a lot about trying to outline Lady Stoneheart's support and plan within the Winds of Winter. It's highly, highly likely that Lord Tidos, even under siege, has been instrumental in helping and aiding the Brotherhood Without Banners probably before, but definitely now since Stoneheart has taken over. And that in the spirit of Blackwood resistance against foreign invaders, they have taken up and effectively become part of the outlaw band to drive out the invaders as they have done many times before. It's a running strategy for them. The Brotherhood Without Banners is effectively an arm of the Blackwoods. It's happened so many times in their history that it just makes a lot of sense. And it's also very possible that Tidos knows who Lady Stoneheart is, or at least suspects who she is. If he's dealing with them, and it seems like he is, it's obviously the Brotherhood found Jamie like two seconds after they left and knew exactly where he was going. It could be that even the lands that Tidos gave up were extremely tactical. That maybe the lands he gave up are ones that the that the Brotherhood aren't in, or they're ones that they can defend easily from the Brackens trying to take them back. The whole conversation totally flips once you realize the relationship between Tidos and the Brotherhood. And this goes even further than that, because there's an important part here. Tidos has been, it looks like, more or less secretly aiding the Brotherhood, giving them information, maybe giving them a place to stay when they come by. Like, for instance, I would not be surprised at all if the Brotherhood uses Raven Tree Hall to send letters, because I was talking earlier about how the Ravens all come to the tree at night and then they leave, like thousands of them at a time. How hard would it be? to attach a secret letter to the leg of one of those ravens or to send out one of their maester's ravens with the with the whole bunch of them knowing that the brackens can't possibly shoot it down it's highly likely that the brotherhood and titos himself have been able to send out secret letters that nobody can stop using the other ravens as a cloaking device but that's what they were doing before this is what they were doing while under siege jamie has just effectively freed the Blackwoods. Tynos Blackwood can now leave his castle. His men can leave his castle. They can go out and affect the rest of the Riverlands. In effect, the resistance against the Lannisters hasn't been as bad because the Blackwoods have been unable to act directly, but they have been able to help people from afar. That's over. The, resist the Stark resistance within the Riverlands just got a general, effectively. They just got their primary ally uh, freed from their cage. They have Brynden Tully, most likely. Now they have Tidos Blackwood, 
the hero of the Riverlands, and one of the most powerful lords, even after all this time. His word and his ability to outthink his opponents and his ability to rally support is going to be a giant boon for Lady Stoneheart. And it goes even further than that. There's been a lot of talk about the idea of the Red Wedding 2.0. I talked about it in my Rob Stark maybe coming back from the dead stream, I mean video. But regardless of whether or not Rob Stark's coming back from the dead, there's definitely a suggestion that there's sort of a, a hammer waiting to fall on the Lannisters and Freys within the, uh, within the Riverlands. The suggestion that there's a massive amount of uh, blowback on the way. Raven Tree Hall has just been freed to help. It makes an ideal location, especially now that they've been freed, to be a coordination point for any sort of counterattack, any sort of counterinvasion. They can host members of the Brotherhood. They can use their own letters and their own ravens to send out messages to gather support. They can use the resources and the soldiers of Raven Tree. The whole thing just got a lot more likely because of Titus Blackwood effectively being let out of his cage. You know, they're the last house to take down their Stark banners. And that may just be temporary. That may not be, that may just be part of the fake by the Blackwoods here. They take down the Stark and Tully banners only to put them right back up after a bunch of Freys die. And when you look at Titus as a character, remember what we've talked about. He's tenacious, he's loyal, and he has a taste for vengeance. Doesn't that sound like the kind of guy that's going to red wedding the phrase back? And it goes more than that, that Titus specifically brought up a particular grievance with the phrase. It's not just that they killed Lucas, and it's not just that they, that they refused to return his body. He brings up unprompted that the phrase are kin to him that I talked about earlier, how a member of House Blackwood, I believe it was Alyssa Blackwood, was Lord Walder's fourth wife, and that Lothar Frey and all of his children and all of his grandchildren, including Big Walder, hint, hint, are all members of how are all kin to Tidos Blackwood, and he knows it, and he thinks they're traitors. He thinks that they are traitors to their blood and to their family. Boy, does that sound like someone that's motivated to kill a lot of Freys really fast. And especially because as a follower of the old gods, the Blackwoods are, are going to take it especially hard that Gestrite was broken. Think of all the stories of the rat cook and stuff like that. That's not going to escape the mention, escape the attention of somebody like Titus Blackwood. And the rest of his sons. And in a sense, I was talking about how sending away Hoster may be kind of a, a kindness for him. That his gentle bookish son could benefit from maybe joining the Maesters or having an academic life. He also could be saving Hoster from the vengeance that's coming. And there's even a hint of this as well. If you go back and read the conversation right before Hoster and Jamie are having a back and forth. And here's how it goes. They're talking about vengeance and the right to vengeance. Jamie says, My father had a saying too. Never wound a foe when you can kill him. Dead man don't claim vengeance. Lady Stoneheart probably disagrees with that. Their sons do, said Hoster apologetically. Not if you kill their sons as well. Ask the Casterlies about that if you doubt me. Ask Lord and Lady Tarbeck or the reigns of Castamere. Ask the Prince of Dragonstone. For an instant, the deep clouds that crowned the western hills reminded him of Rhaegar's children all wrapped up in crimson cloaks. 
Is that why you killed all the Starks? Not all, said Jamie. Lord Eddard's daughters live. One has just been wed, the other... Brienne, where are you? Have you found her? If the gods are good, she'll forget she was a Stark. She'll wed some burly blacksmith or fat-faced innkeep, fill his house with children, and never need to fear that some knight might come along to smash their heads against the wall. The gods are good, his hostage said uncertainly. So this is kind of what I was getting at. Hoster's kind of a gentle kind of book nerd, but it's on his mind the idea of vengeance, that he's thinking about the Red Wedding. He's thinking about what had happened to Lucas. He's thinking about his own situation. So the idea is that Jamie says, my father is saying to you, never wound a phone. You can kill them. Dead men don't claim vengeance. Their sons do, said Hoster. He's probably talking about the Blackwoods. He's probably talking about his brother, Brendan and Titus and Alan and Edmund, that it's probably been during the siege, a pretty big topic of conversation about how they're going to get back at the Brackens, how they can get back at the Lannisters, and especially the Freys, especially Lothar Frey. And Hoster may not be up for it. He may not be the kind of person that would be in for mass slaughter of a whole family. So in a sense, that could have been why Titus was so anxious to send away Hoster, that to spare him from maybe a level of violence he may be unable to participate in. So if there is a Red Wedding 2.0, and I think there probably is, I think it's very likely that the Blackwoods are going to be the prime sponsors of it. The recently released from their bondage, the hot for vengeance, the prideful and loyal to the Starks and the Tullys, Blackwoods are first in line to be the ones that would help the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart get their vengeance. That's something to be excited about. And it's, it's, it's hinted at here, and I think it's done so in a way that when it shows up, You'll be able to look back at this in a typical George way and be like, oh, that's what that conversation was about. How did I miss that? Of course, Hostos Blackwood was talking about and Hoster Blackwood were talking about the Red Wedding 2.0. They're talking about getting vengeance on the people that Titus blames. Like at the end there, when Titus drops his act and calls him Kingslayer and that he knows who he's dealing with, that's a threat. That's a threat from Titus. And this conversation about Hoster and about the idea that if you leave any of the the sons alive, they'll get vengeance. You're talking about the Blackwoods. So that's, I think, the most, that's something that's going to happen right away. I think the Lady Stoneheart's vengeance definitely involves the Blackwoods. I think it involves Tidos and that he's going to be a major part of planning it, probably with Brendan Tully. Although it will probably go too far and we're going to feel bad about it. Like, yeah. But it definitely seems like, in particular, <laughs> Tidos has a Lothar Frey marked for vengeance and all of his family, that they are betrayers to the Blackwood family. So what's going to happen next? What are we, it's not just going to be the Red Wedding, Red Wedding 2.0. After helping Stoneheart and the Blackfish, what awaits the Blackwood? I think there's little doubt from what we've talked about and what we've seen from Titus Blackwood and his family that if, let's say, another king in the north rises from nowhere, that the first bannermen to ride north to help them will probably be House Blackwood. They're, they have a tremendous amount of loyalty to the dead Rob Stark and Catelyn Tully, even now. It is really unmatched even among like their northern bannermen. There are quite a few northerners that have a flip-flop back to the, to the Boltons to help themselves out, kind of like Jonas Bracken did. But Blackwoods are making the case that they are maybe the most loyal, the most willing to go out and get them. Like, Manderleys and Blackwoods are very likely to be 
top of the list for a new king in the north. And I don't know, maybe if Rob Stark returns from the dead, you can bet it's going to be a raven feather cloak that's standing right beside them the whole way. And also on the, we talked about this a little bit kind of on the fantasy side, there are tremendous overlaps when you're talking about brand scenes in A Dance with Dragons with Blood Raven and his whole training thing and what we're seeing here from the Blackwoods. You know, even if you compare Tytos to Brynden River, they're both under siege by an enemy. If you look at the, the cave outside of Blood Raven's cave, they're being surrounded by skeletons, basically, and whites that are keeping them penned in. They're under, there's a giant weirwood. <laughs> they have tons of ravens and tons of singers. There's a feeling that there is kind of a, a strategy going on. There's a connection here between the Blackwoods and the Starks, between obviously between Bran and Blood Raven, but also possibly Lady Stoneheart and uh, and Tytos here. That's weirdly paralleled. And actually, I, I kind of had a thought when, when I was reading the reading Hoster Tully's, I mean Hoster Blackwood. God, I keep getting those messed up, mixed up. When you're talking about Hoster Blackwood and you're comparing him to anybody. He kind of sounds like Bran if you grew up, right? Kind of a, a tall, gangly book nerd that kind of knows everything and always has his nose in books and just wants information. Kind of sounds like the same kind of guy. And that would be kind of typical of George, that he loves taking his characters and sort of giving them alternate futures. He likes introducing characters that are like alt, alternate universe versions of them. I talked about that with Brienne and Pretty Maris, and Jamie and the Tattered Prince, I think there is a pretty good case to be made that Hoster Blackwood is brand grown up. If he had never fallen from the tower, if he had never, if the war had never happened, this would be like what a 16-year-old Bran was like. Because he's not a physically impressive person. He's not, he was never going to be. Instead, he's a, he's a lot like this kind of guy. Which also would make it, if you think about it, Hoster, Hoster Blackwood talking with Jamie, well, Jamie and Bran are inextricably linked. That Jamie throwing him from the tower started Bran's journey to become who he is today. And that would just be like one of those things that you can see George writing and smiling like, oh, look, I'm making Bran and Jamie talk again or talk at last. Because a lot of what Hoster says could be easily grafted onto a member of House Stark talking. It's basically no different. Guilty Undertaker says Lothar is pretty clever, though. I can see him catching wind of the plan and arranging to be elsewhere while the Brotherhood Without Banners and Blackwoods take out his competition. He could. I did think about that, like in terms of what if the uh, Lothar is going to be like their man inside. If there is somebody within the phrase and Lothar's family that is more sympathetic to the Blackwood cousins, if they feel bad about killing Lucas or something like that. But Tidos kind of really unprompted just says that he considers them traitors, that he thinks they are a, a broken branch of the family and that they should they should be punished. So I would be shocked. If, if that happens, I think uh, Hoster, I think uh, Tytos has a uh, particular punishment mapped out for Lothar, especially with his role in planning the Red Wedding. At least the class sometimes, I like that theory, especially when you talked about Edric Dane or Edric Dane and Darkstar in the Dane stream. Yeah, George does it all the time. He loves introducing grown up or alt versions of his character. So I would not be shocked if that's what you're supposed to see from Hoster Blackwood. He even kind of looks like a Stark, just like a gangly one. But going beyond that, like, what are we talking about for the war for the dawn? What are we talking about with the other invasion that the that we know is eventually going to come? So I think one thing that's really undersold is that the Blackwoods are maybe the most mysterious house in A Song of Ice and Fire. 
they are presented as enigmas to the characters. We see them from Catelyn and Jamie both just kind of have question marks over their head when they're trying to understand what they're up to. But they also have this connection with Bloodraven and the parallels being drawn between Bloodraven and Bran and kind of the mystical side of the story that not many of the other houses do. I mean, the dead Weirwood, the idea of thousands of singers or skin changers that visit them any night, that it's literally Bloodraven, a lost, a long lost sign of their house that has become the old gods and the primary force of resistance against the others. So it would make sense if George has something in mind for them, that they're going to be perhaps a key part of the War for the Dawn. They weren't in the show, obviously. They basically got written out. But George has gone the other way. And with every work that he introduces, it seems like he just continues inserting more and more Blackwoods. I kind of talked about with the Strongs, where there's this this sense of an upward momentum in how interested he is in them. And the Blackwoods are even stronger. He's doing a lot with them, and he seems to have a lot of ideas. Oster could be similar to a young Bloodraven, sure. Yeah, that could be it. How I imagine a young Aemon to be, sure. That one checks out, too. And, you know, we really haven't seen much of them so far. Tidos has, as I said, Tidos has played his cards very close to his chest. There is potentially a lot to learn about them that is not, not obvious at this point. For instance, all right. Hoster Blackwood himself has a potential to be sort of an insight to the inner workings of the house in the future because he seems to have a, a bit looser lips than Tidos himself. And it's actually a little bit unclear what happened to the boy after Jamie got captured by the Brotherhood through Brienne. Is he going to join the Brotherhood now? He was also, yeah, he was talking a little bit more than his father. So through Hoster, we may end up learning more stuff about them. So for instance, has Bloodraven been contacting the members of House Blackwood? Has he been reaching to them through dreams? Are, is there like a rising sense of green dreams throughout all Blackwood Vale? Are they being told, you know, the, the real war is to the north to seek out the Starks to stay loyal? You know, that the king of the north will rise again. Don't give up. Don't give in. Like help out Stoneheart or just wait for the signs or something like that. It's very likely that this has been going on behind the scenes, and it would make sense that the Blackwoods wouldn't be talking about it, but it could be something that's revealed in retrospect. Like, for instance, we know that the Brotherhood Without Banners often goes to High Heart and asks them, asks her for guidance and uses her visions, essentially, to guide their way. Who's to say the same thing isn't happening at Raven Tree Hall, or that they don't know about the Ghost of High Heart? It would be a fascinating scene if they go and see the ghost again, and if Lord Tyos is among them. That would be a really interesting meeting. Hoster's well on his way to Bran's council. For sure. He, I think that's probably right that George loves taking characters like Hoster and elevating them. That he loves giving the unexpected nerd a, a greater seat at the table, rewarding their intelligence, that kind of thing. And there's, there's really this odd sense of destiny about the Blackwoods, especially in, in a House of the Dragon and Fire and Blood. That it's the young Blackwoods that are heading the resistance in the Riverlands and making their name in the Great War, even fighting against the dragons themselves. You know, when you're talking about even the names that are coming up here, Brendan Hoster, or is I going with this? Oh, wrong point. You know, when you're talking about Brendan Hoster, Edmund, Bethany, Alan, and Lord Titus, they have a really good opportunity given them by George to make a typical late in the conflict important contribution to the story that they've been set up that way they've been largely held back and now george has just unchained them in a sense you know war is george calls it a feast for crows 
But in this case, it's really a feast for ravens. The ravens of Blackwood Vale thrive as the war gets grittier and as the people in front of them tend to fall over. They're the ones that are, in the end, win and make themselves more valuable the longer the conflict goes. And yeah, don't be surprised if when the War for the Dawn comes and the others are marching down on Winterfell, if it's not the Blackwoods of Blackwood Vale that are making up a primary part of the resistance to it, the ones that believe the Starks, the ones that believe what they're being told while everyone else is kind of going like the others, aren't they dead? Well, you know, the Blackwoods will probably be in the situation to believe it right away, either because of their shared history with the North or possibly mystical reasons. And there's a line that I think is that, that one at the beginning, the one I started to stream with where Tito said long and bitter, a life without honor until his dying day, men will say he was afraid to fight. Tito's Blackwood won't be afraid to fight. He won't be afraid to lay down his life for a greater cause. That's what we're being taught about him with his defense of River Run, his defense of Edmure Tully, his loyalty to the Stark, his ability to stay true to what he thinks is right, despite what's happening. He's the last guy that's holding out against the Lannisters and seems to be having a plan to get back at them, even while appearing to capitulate. That sort of tells you a lot about their character and what George has planned for them. And I think there's something a little sneaky in there as well. The I, I was talking earlier that Titus really has a vengeance marked for Lothar Frey and the rest of the wayward Blackwoods, as he calls them, or as I call them, that he considers that a vengeance that he has to take, that he thinks that for the honor of the Blackwoods, basically, he has to do something about it. Now, if you go back to what I said in the initial stream, and I talked a little bit about this one, the idea that the, I think that the others themselves may be long lost Blackwoods. You know, I talked about the, the Warg King and how the Blackwoods are probably descended from him, but then the ones that didn't go south went north and perhaps became the others. I think there's a pretty good chance that the things that Hoster Black, that Tyus Blackwood is saying about his fray cousins could very much be true of the others that he sees them as that he could see them as betrayers long lost kin somebody that he ha that it's a matter of duty and honor that he has to fight them you know the long lost half of their dynasty that fled north rather than south and break embracing darkness and night that sounds like the kind of thing that hoster blackwood would be i mean a titles black would be all about god i keep mixing those up what's going on here and it's that old northern phrase the one that comes from the rat cook that a man has a right to vengeance and i think that's sort of the ethos of Titus Blackwood and the rest of his house. They're going to get their vengeance. I think they're going to start with the phrase in the Lannisters, and it's not going to stop there. They are too well integrated, not only with the politics of Westeros, but the war in the Riverlands and Lady Stoneheart and the Starks themselves, but also the magical side. George has made sure to integrate them at every level with the rest of the books. So, I hope that got you hyped. It gets me hyped. <laughs> I want to see what's going on with them. I want to see more of them. The rest of the Blackwoods, what Hoster Blackwood will be up to. There's also, this is something I forgot, but I think I'm pretty sure I can tell you what Titus Blackwood's price for helping the Brotherhood is. And it's probably pretty clearly going to be killing a lot of the Brackens. You know, that, uh, that line from Hoster about their sons will get vengeance if you don't, if you leave any of them alive. It may be one thing he's uncomfortable with is not only attack on the phrase in the Lannisters, 
but maybe Titus has it in his head that he's going to exterminate the Brackens, especially since he noted that they're, that Lord Jonas has no sons. He only has daughters. That's a, it may be one of those things where it's kind of like the revenge on the Starks in the phrase where George likes giving, likes essentially having you want something until you have to see it on the page and then it's going to hurt you to read it. That's one of the things about the Red Wedding 2.0 that seems to be something that's going to be a big part of it. That the vengeance that you want, the vengeance on the phrase, the bad guys, is going to be too horrific. It's going to be too over the top and it's going to make you hate the characters that go through with it because they're going to become the monsters they say they're trying to kill. And that could definitely be a part of Titus Blackwood and the rest of the house going forwards. If they really do get vengeance and exterminate the phrase and then take vengeance on the Brackens, it's going to be not, not fun to read. It's going to be horrific because it's, it's not, it's not just like two ideas of two houses fighting one getting exterminated. It would be the Blackwood, you know, capturing Jonos and his wife and his, and their daughters and killing them in cold blood. That's not going to be fun to read. That's going to suck. And that could be the kind of thing that's going on here where George may give us everything we want. The Blackwoods may get their vengeance on the Brackens and the Freys and the Lannisters and eventually become a key part for the War for the Dawn, maybe allying themselves behind Jon Snow if he becomes King of the North or something like that. But he's going to make it something that you're going to regret rooting for, I think. And I also find that exciting to, well i don't know if it's exciting but it's something i'm looking forward to reading but in a uh, a very apprehensive way i'm like i want in in like theory you want titus and his family to get their vengeance you want them to get their revenge because they've been mistreated and you like you like them the way they've been written it's kind of like the starks but if they just start like killing random innocents to get that it's are they any better? That kind of thing. Yeah, blood and cheese, that kind of Given the amount of intermarriage between the Blackwoods and the Brackens, would it be kinslaying? Absolutely, it would be. And that's also part of the thing that I was talking about, how Titus considers the phrase, even though they're kin, that they've betrayed the, the family that they deserve to die. He probably feels the same way about the Brackens. He knows they're related. Hoster knows they're related. But he, th- he thinks they have to go. Would anyone miss the Brackens? No, but I still don't really want to see them brutally murdered either that that would suck yeah pulling the reins of castamere on the brackens that's sort of been hinted at forever that especially that conversation with hoster and jamie where it's like sort of planting the idea that maybe there is a reins of castamere coming for the brackens and it's not something you're really going to want to you're not going to enjoy reading like on a practical level ah yeah that's not gonna be cool but it will be but will will i don't know it's going to go both ways, but I hope I've made the case that maybe they're worth four streams, <laughs> that there's a lot more about them coming, that there's, this is only the beginning of their story in the rest of A Song of Ice and Fire, that George really does have big plans for them, that, that they're not just a weird side note of a house, that he's, there's going to be a lot happening. He could just have all those daughters marry his sons. That's true. That could happen. Oh, there's one thing that from the patron slack that Nessie wanted to talk about. And that is she has a secret dunk theory, a secret dunk descendant theory. She noted that perhaps Hoster Blackwood and his tremendous size, Hoster's almost like seven feet tall. He's a huge guy. He's not strong. He's not bulky, but he is tall. And Nessie was wondering if perhaps unbelievably dunks genes found its way into another house. If the Blackwoods, the current Blackwoods are also descended from uh, Duncan the tall because obviously they are tall too 
And one of the things she was talking about is that I've suggested that the Dunkin' Egg story, the village hero, will probably take place in Penny Tree. Definitely George has made sure to put the setting in for us, that he had Jamie go there. And Hoster Blackwood then told us the history of the area and the feuds that happened there. And there's one particular thing that happens in basically every Dunk story. He either almost has sex or he does. Uh, it's very... Most people think that at the end of the Sworn Sword, he does actually get down with Rohane Weber. John the Fiddler comes very close. Well, he does try to seduce Dunk. He definitely wants to climb that castle wall. He wants to hook up with the puppeteer and the hedge knight, but, but it doesn't end up happening because after her fingers get brown, she runs away. But Dunk thinks about trying to find her and Dorn and stuff like that. So if the village hero is in Penny Tree, who will Dunk be seducing this time? And I was kind of thinking about it, and George has potentially left us a couple possibilities. So, it's speculated that Beth of Blackwood and Egg may meet for the first time during the Village Hero, and that their eventual marriage starts because they meet each other during this adventure. But there are two other women that are present at Raven Tree Hall that we know about from this time frame, with not much of a settled history about them. We basically just know their name. And that is, of course, Blood Raven's sisters. I believe it's, let's see here, his sisters, Gwyneth and Mia, his half-siblings by Aegon IV. We have no idea what happened to them, but it's very much a possibility that they or their, if they have any children, could be at Raven Tree Hall. And if they are, boy, would that be something if Dunk ended up uh, knocking boots with one of Blood Raven's sisters. Huh? Yeah, that's what's up. There's also, when you look at Jonas Bracken, we get a very in-depth description of the man. And he is certainly as thick as a castle wall as well. He is a bulky, very strong man. He's not particularly tall. Jamie says he's a little bit shorter than he is, but Jamie himself is not no shrimp himself. It would be fascinating. If somehow, some way, if Duncan the Tall ended up accidentally introducing his bloodline into the Brackens and the Blackwoods. Nessie was also talking about describing Hoster is there's a similar adjectives and the way of talking about him that Dunk that uh, George tends to use for Dunk's other children. I'd have to go back and check it. I didn't I didn't pick up on that when I was reading the chapter, but it definitely could be. <laughs> I don't doubt her ability to pick up on details like that would be very interesting. George always has Dunk almost or does get down. We know he has tons of children and he spread them far and wide in his legacy. It would be fascinating if that happened here too. If the Blackwoods or the Brackens of the current age are somehow related to Dunk and the Tall. God love it. Hope Dunk gets laid again. I like that one though. I th that was, it was a very creative catch by Nessie. Let me go back and see what she wrote. I'm not sure if she's still reading. She was here earlier. Yeah. Dunk the Lunk and Irresistible Hunk. Yeah, that's right. Wouldn't that be just be like the wildest thing if Dunk hooks up with one of Blood Raven's sisters? I, I don't even know what he would think about that. Would he be protective? Would he just be bemused by the whole thing? He's clearly, Blood Raven is clearly particularly happy that Beth of Blackwood ended up hooking up with uh, Egg. I don't know what he would think about Dunk doing the same thing. <laughs> He's just a chaotic sexual being. Oh, she made on a break other? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was a good thought. I, I do like any sort of secret Dunk descendants. Certainly, any characters that are tall are a possibility. Obviously, not all tall characters are related to Dunk, but certainly seems like a bunch of them are. And 
that would be that would be just really fascinating. And in terms of another character that may be related to the Blackwoods, I talked about this earlier, but it seems pretty on the nose if Alice Rivers herself, the witch queen of Harrenhal, was actually a Blackwood and strong bastard. That would make a lot of sense, especially since she has the look of the Blackwoods. She has the dark hair and dark eyes, has a real connection to the old gods and Harrenhal and the Weirwoods. And especially the idea that both the Blackwoods and the Strongs throughout history have become real close to hooking up with the dragons and several times have. Obviously, Betha Blackwood. There was another time where Royce Blackwood almost married Daella Targaryen until she found out he was an old god worshiper. Both houses end up basically dancing with dragons quite a lot. So Alice Rivers being sort of like the personification of that, like a combo of the Strongs and the Blackwoods, and then with Aemon One-Eye. That would just be like the perfect encapsulation of that theme in one person. That's right, Guilty Undertaker. Somehow the Blackwoods stream turned into a strong stream. I am nothing if not predictable. Strongs and Blackwoods. Is that just my channel at this point? Perhaps? It just might be. So uh, we had some technical difficulties at the front of it. So if you guys have been hanging around all this time, we're going to go a little bit later than usual. But let's go ahead and do some Q&A stuff. We've talked I have finished my script. I am not going to do another stream about the Blackwoods, at least until House of the Dragon progresses more and we get to see like castings of Benjicott and Black Alley and Rob Rivers. So anything you guys want to talk about, any questions you have that I missed while I was monologuing, any topics about this, go ahead and throw them in the chat. Let's do this, guys. Let's let's kick off. Let's celebrate the end of the Blackwood streams with a bang, a bang that Dunk would be proud of. I can turn any stream into a strong stream. It's not my fault. I didn't write the stuff. George wrote this. George continues to write about the Strongs. He continues to write about the Blackwoods. He continues to make them more important and seemingly an important part of his stories about fire and ice and all that other kind of stuff. It's his fault. I'm just picking up on what's in the stream. Actually, on my, on my golf clubs, on my woods, I have one that's a dunk in the tall. I got these made custom by a place that knits them. So one is one head cover is a Duncan the Tall sigil. Another is a Blackwood sigil. And the other is a Weirwood because I'm so on theme. Guilty Undertaker says Benjicott and Blackwood and Rob Rivers equals Rob Stark and Jon Snow. Absolutely. I think a lot of these characters that are going to be coming up at House of the Dragon and definitely those in Fire and Blood from the Blackwoods are meant to be the Starks of the story. I talked about how... I think that Black Alley is a pretty good comp for Arya grown up. And I think the same is for Benjicott and Rob Rivers, that George is doing his consistent thing where he's taking his characters, renaming them slightly so you don't realize it's them, and then putting them into another context. I think that's definitely true that if we ever get to see them on screen, that Rob Rivers will probably be a lot like Jon Snow and that Benjicott will probably be a lot like Rob Stark. Black Alley playing kind of an Arya role, most likely. Arya Liana, that kind of thing. Mohammed with Omar? Mohammed with Omar? Who is your favorite Blackwood? Ooh, good question. Who is my favorite? That's a tough one. I think Bloodraven has to be near the top of anybody's favorite Blackwood. He's just such a fascinating character, and George has put so much into him. I, th- I think it's a tie. I think it's either Brendan Rivers or Tytos. I-, I got a lot more appreciation for Tytos going back and reading him in the in his actions within the book. And seeing his conversation with Jamie, it was, he really does paint a fascinating character 
and very much George is going to do a lot more with him, hopefully, in the Winds of Winter. So the problem is a lot of the Blackwoods are just sort of like characters in a wiki for the most part, like characters from histories or you don't see a lot of them. I can imagine somebody like Black Alley or Ben Chicot or Rob Rivers ending up being my favorites, especially depending on what happens with them in House of the Dragon. But until we see them, it's it's hard to say. Bloody Ben does seem like a cool guy, but we have to it's hard to make him your favorite character when we literally don't see him in a narrative form. It's just sort of like a history book thing. So those would be my seek those would be the ones I would look forward to the most. But I think it's Titus and uh Blood Raven that are my favorite. Although I can totally imagine, again, we're gonna see more of them. If as George publishes more books, we're gonna see a lot more of the Blackwoods in the Winds of Winter. We're probably gonna see a lot more of them and Duncan Egg, they're definitely going to show up in House of the Dragon. So, like I, I said this in the last stream, the Blackwoods are by low on them now because George has plans for them. What about Aemon One-Eyes Bastard with that milkmaid? So, yeah, the child of Alice Rivers and Aemon One-Eye, who is that? I don't know. I, I, I kind of made that, George made that up for Fire and Blood, so... It's a possible they show back up in Fire and Blood Part 2, what ends up happening to that kid. But as far as I know, there's no, there's nothing currently in the world of Ice and Fire or the mate or any of the other books about what happens to that kid. So I'm assuming not much, but it'd be interesting to see. Oh, let's see here. Do you think there's a secret warg among the Blackwoods from Tasha Crawford? Crawford? Yes. I think that it's highly likely that between Titus and his children, that there probably are skin changers in that family and they just don't talk about it. The the way they're described and the, sort of the unusual way that they behave and their connections to the Weirwoods and the Ravens themselves, definitely George is trying to get you to suspect that there are secret skin changers among the uh, Blackwoods and they just don't talk about it, which makes sense because it's such a taboo that of course they never would, especially not to somebody like Jamie Lannister. But if the Blackwoods get into similar company like talking to somebody like Jon Snow or other northerners it may end up coming out especially if some of them are revealed to be skin changers themselves i do golf poorly very fancy i had to get them made custom but they do look really cool at least i think so black alley gave her maidenhead to a horse and also married cregan stark black alley maybe i don't think she'll be alive for the she wolves of winterfell but she might oh yeah good question from aaron m is anyone else from a chat going to Ice and FireCon two Saturdays from now? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys are going to Ice and FireCon? I, I won't be going because COVID's still a thing that I don't want to catch. So not this year, not going to anything. But I hope you guys do. I hope a lot of you end up having fun down there. And make sure you guys wear your, your Joe Magician stuff, wear your shirts and whatnot. Show them off. Make sure everyone knows the Ravens to my dead weirwood tree have shown up in force. If I was going there, I'd probably try and set up a meetup for you guys or something like that. But there's no reason you guys can't among yourselves. Should be a good time. You know, take pictures. And actually, I was thinking about it. It'd be really cool if you guys do go and you have like your your stuff from my threadless shop. If you guys could like post selfies and tag me and stuff like that, it'd be really interesting to see. That'd be kind of cool. Yes, thank you, Aaron, for proudly repping the spooky tree <laughs> and your ass waffles and your spooky trees and your magician hats. Show them all off. It'd be kind of it'll be cool. I've always heard that Ice and Fire Con is a really good time and no bad reviews. So hope you all enjoy it. Let's see here. I'm hoping for Duncan Egg that brings Dagon Greyjoy onto the page. That's that's, that's suggested that maybe Duncan Egg during the She Wolves of Winterfell will end up fighting the Greyjoys as that's part of why they're headed up there so possibly we'll get to see him that'd be kind of cool alice rivers and aemon one-eyes bastard man being one of the pretenders 
showing up than A on the thirds, right? Oh, that could be true. Maybe they try and make a claim. Yeah, that'd be something. Let's see here. Sleeko Duck, will Brown Ben Plum try to stake a claim on the Iron Throne? No? Can we try and steal a dragon? The dragons like him. I think Viserion's a big friend, big fan of Brown Ben Plum, so that could be a possibility. If he has a dragon, he can do a lot with it. Good to see a lot of you going. I hope you have a really good time. Let's see here. Dorian says, I like to the of the ghost. I think you're missing a word there of ghosts of high heart being descended from either Alice Rovers or one of Blood Raven's sisters. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. If if the ghost is related to that generation, who knows? Maybe it's Gwyneth or Mia Rivers. Maybe that's the name of Ghost of High Heart and Albino like their brother. That'd be kind of cool. Imagine if it was just sort of hanging on for forever. Some sort of weird longevity in that generation coming from Aegon the Fourth. Mia or Gwyneth Rivers, the ghost of High Heart. That'd be kind of cool. They definitely do disappear and don't go anywhere. I mean, that'd be an easy thing to write in, especially if they have like there's no reason only Blood Raven has mystical powers from the union of Missy Blackwood and Aegon the Fourth. It would certainly be logical if one of his sisters did too. Although he never talks about them, but then again, he doesn't talk about his family much anyway. When you see him in a dance with dragons. He like barely mentions them. He mentions Missy exists and that's kind of it. There's not that many albinos in A Song of Ice and Fire and one of them just happens to be somebody else that's really connected to the old gods in the Ghosts of High Heart. So certainly possible. I've heard speculation that maybe she's like a children of the forest in disguise. That could work too. But that would be fascinating if, yeah, if that was one of Blood Raven's long lost sisters. He, she, it would be hard for them to still be alive, but you never know. Children of the old god, I mean, the children of the forest and the old gods seemingly can make people live long past when they should be dead. Mark it down. That's who she is. Christina Kindle says, so why doesn't Blood Raven count as ice and fire like a combo dragon war green seer like John? Or does he to you? Yes, he does. He definitely counts as sort of a embodiment of ice and fire. It's less direct because obviously the, the Blackwoods are no longer in the north, but they obviously, George has written them so they have clear resonances with the Stark and the rest of the Northerners that they fit in and definitely is suggesting that they are like distant kin of the kings in the North. So yeah, Bloodraven as a Blackwood and a Targaryen, I think does fit the idea of ice and fire in one person, but he does that a lot. There's a lot of characters that have that kind of uh, dualism to them, like the opposing forces in them from, from how they were from their parents or their lineages or something like that. Are there people that don't think that Blood Raven is kind of like an ice and fire personified? Because I kind of think he is. Ghost of High Heart equals the ghost of the, the dire wolf equals Blood Raven equals tree. Mind blown. New theory. Although there are suggestions, and I've made them myself, that maybe um, Blood Raven piloted the dire wolf mother beyond the wall to make them be found by the Starks. Because certainly it's weird how it did. There's no direwolves south of the wall, and yet one who was also pregnant somehow slipped through and then made it all the way to Winterfell or nearby. That's hard to do. The the wall is not conducive to things getting through. So I speculated in the past that it may have been a warging blood raven that ended using his his knowledge of the Night's Watch on the wall to get the direwolf through and get it down to the uh, Starks. Nymeria's wolves sleep at Raven Tree Hall, do they? That'd be kind of interesting. It would also be cool if Nymeria. Oh, oh, that'd be fascinating. What if Nymeria ends up warming up to one of the Blackwoods, like as a secret skin changer or something like that? That'd be something to watch out for. If Nymeria ends up interacting with Tidos or Hoster and the rest of the family, 
she, the dire wolf herself, may mark which one is actually a skin changer by which one she likes. George likes doing that kind of thing, so I wouldn't be shocked about that. Uh, $10 from Kieran Grant. Thanks for uh, a nice stream with very interesting theories. Your streams are becoming a low-key pleasure. Hey, thanks, Kieran. Appreciate it. Appreciate the words and the money. Direwolf was directed through the underground cane system by Bloodraven. Sure, that's one way through. Another way is, I guess it could have swum. You know, there are, you can bypass the wall by going through the water. You could swim around it at Eastwatch, and there's also some rivers you can cross. That's kind of a way. You can also cross the, one of the bridges. I think the, what is it, the Bridge of Skulls or something like that. It's, it's very confusing how it happened. Because if the Starks are right, and there are no direwolves south of the wall, then you have to explain how a direwolf navigated the wall itself. So not a... Uh, not easy to do. Even a night fort would would be tough because you'd have to have the dire wolf climbing up the stairs, which is tough to do. But yeah, Blood Raven probably could open the gate for her if he wanted to, I guess. Don't really know. There are a lot of characters that have ice and fire dualism to them. I don't think it's just John. It's like the idea of multiple Zora highs. There's multiple characters that fit many different roles. This is randomly turned into a dire wolf stream. Blackwood strong dire wolves. Nailed it. That's the channel. Do you think the direwolves came through the wall at the Night's Watch brother that Ned executed? That'd be kind of a weird scenario where they just sort of let a direwolf through with him. <laughs> he goes to the night fort, opens the door, and then it's just the direwolf. Come on, let's go. Although it would be in keeping with Bloodraven's method if he sent some something to guide. I think it was Garrod down to the away from the others. Certainly he does that with Sam and uh, Bran where he sends cold hands to he only sends cold hands to go help sam make it to the wall and tell him how to get through but also sends cold hands to pick up bran and take him back to the cave so yeah maybe that's how he did it maybe garrett was accompanied by cold hands in a dire wolf and that's how it got through i don't really know it's it's one of those weird weird things that george has not even come close to explaining and may never do it all right so we've been going for it's 450 We've gone way over, but we also had technical problems. So I think that's probably, I think we're probably going to call it here today. That is all you guys that said I was going to do like five more Blackwood streams. Egg on your face. I managed to get it done today. I think I actually ran out of things to talk about with the Blackwoods, at least until we get them in House of the Dragon. So look out for a return of the forever Blackwood streams when those characters get cast or when they show up on the show. I want to thank all you guys for hanging out today. The super chats we got from Kieran Grant, Morley, Kraken Queen, Tony Slett, everybody that slammed the like button, and uh, and also Anne Clo, who won herself a t-shirt from my Threadless shop. I'll be back in two weeks, and don't know what the topic is yet. If you guys have any suggestions, you can throw them at me on Twitter or Patreon or the Patreon Slack or anything like that. And yeah, I hope you guys all have a wonderful rest of the day, and go out and be very annoying talking to everybody that will listen about how cool the Blackwoods are because that random guy on YouTube you watch became obsessed with them for four weeks because that's apparently who I have become. Oh, well, at least I enjoy my passions, I guess. Anyway, I'll see you all next time. Have a, have a good weekend.